0: Please take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. You know, I made some notes just as, uh, as the morning's sort of been unfolding, and it's so, just so amazing how the Lord speaks. You know, we had Pastor Jim come up, and uh, he was taking us through the way and the truth, and then Pastor Rob, you know, he came up and kind of got to go into a character study on Andrew like that, and... We got to see that it's all about the sincere desire, sincere desire of our hearts, right, to be with God, you know, and that really our calling is to do what? It's the Great Commission, it's to bring people to Jesus Christ, it's to spread the gospel. And I just, I just believe that's exactly what the Lord has for us all day. He wants to just encourage and equip his saints because I know there's probably many here just kind of like me, honestly, saying, man, I'm I can't do it, I'm not good enough, you know, who am I, right? I think any one of us can, can sit back and say, well, the man God uses, it, it's not me, man. It's, it's somebody else because, well, I just, I don't have it and I, you know, I'm never going to arrive, right? And I, I got to tell you, that's a lie right from the pit of hell. I'm just going to say it like it is. I'm going to lay it down hot. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Anything that he can try to do to distract and to, to pull us away from God's holy truth, it's never been about us. It's always been about Jesus Christ. Hasn't it? Amen? Always been about Jesus Christ. But man, he loves to just start waging that war and he loves to start pulling us that way. You know, the simple fact, I believe, is the man God uses is the man that draws near to God. It's honestly that simple. All he asks is that we come willingly, that we're willing to surrender, even like a child. You know, in in the fellowship, we were in Matthew chapter 18 a few weeks back. And as I was preparing for this and, you know, praying and just going through and saying, Lord, what do you have? Let your Holy Spirit go forward, Lord. What is it you have for your people? What is it you have for all of us? He just kept bringing me back to, to him, really. You know, just come, bringing me back to, he says, look, when there were all these people and they were examining who was the greatest. You know, these disciples are sitting up, they're talking, they had just gone, you know, three of them were out on the mountain of Transfiguration right there in chapter 17. And you know, they got to witness that, and oh my, then they come down the mountain, and then they see this boy, he's, he's demon-possessed, and the father's there, and they got the other nine disciples standing there. And they're kind of debating between each other and the scribes like that. And as they're debating between the scribes, they're sitting there, what's going on? And Jesus walks over, and he says, what's, what's the problem here? What's the confusion? What's the contention? Well, you know, we can't cast out this demon. I, you know, because a couple chapters back, remember, he sent out the 70. All those great works were done. He came back and he said, oh, this is amazing. The disciples were absolutely amazed. But now, a couple chapters later, we see these men. And they're relying on their strength. Remember that? Jesus tells them, it was your faith. It was all about your faith. Where does our faith come from? It comes from the Lord. It's never us right? It's from spending intimate time with Jesus. It's not even just, honestly, yes, it's part of it's opening the Word of God and and being in the Word of God, but if that's all we ever did and never got in our prayer closet and got on our knees and cried out before our Lord, we've missed it, man. We've missed it. We've missed the revelation of Christ that way in our lives. And as I was reading through Matthew 18 here, as we we look at verse 1, You know they're in Capernaum at this point, and they're you know they're getting ready and they're they're kind of going along this road and and Jesus notices once again they're disputing amongst themselves. Isn't it funny how men do that? You know I think it was Pastor Rob there says you know we always compare and contrast ourselves to other people. Don't we do that as men? We're always looking at somebody else's walk or somebody else's yoke, and we're always going man I look at this guy this guy's great but I I can't do it. But we don't know what the Lord sees. You see we we get snippets. See, the Lord sees the whole timeline. He sees everything. He sees the very work that he began and has promised to finish in each and every one of us. He sees that. But we can't. We we can get overwhelmed. We get anxious. We get nervous. We start start trying to do it all in our flesh. We even get caught up in striving. We do. And I think a lot of that is what Christ said. Look, lay it down, man. I never asked you to carry that. And if we could just get that, I feel like I know in my life, if I could just lay it down, If I could just come to the feet of Christ and I could just lay it all out, no matter what happens, I know I'd be in his will. And I'd be walking according to his goodwill and purpose. You see, that's what he has for each one of us. That's the man that God, you know, that's that's the man that God uses. It's it's not because any of the characters in the Bible had any special traits or talents or or gifts. We don't see that. It's you and I. Brothers, it's you and I. This, this is what, these are the men that God uses. And that's the encouragement today. Let's just, uh, let's just pray. Father God, I do, I do just ask that I would get out of the way, Lord, and your Holy Spirit would go forth. And that, God, your word would go and just prick the hearts of these men here today. That you would encourage each and every one of us. Lord, that your truth would be so plain, so simple. And Lord, I pray you'd write it on the tablets of our hearts. But Lord, when the enemy tries to steal, it, when we come down off this mountain today, Lord, when we leave here and we go back into the mission field, God, don't let the enemy try to steal the seeds. Don't let the fowler have his way, Lord God. Put your hedge of protection around your bride. You love us dearly, Lord. God, let us press into you, Jesus, and you alone. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we pick up in chapter 18 there, we read, At that time... The disciples, had, the disciples had come to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So again, immediately, what do we see? The dispute starts. Who's the greatest? What man can turn around and beat his chest and say, that's me, man. And not only that, but where is it the greatest? Is it even on earth? No, they're talking about the greatest in heaven. You remember when the disciples came to him, two particular says, hey, can I, uh, can I sit on your right hand? You know, can I, who, who's going to get that seat? Somebody's always brokering or striving or, you know, it's the flesh. It's the flesh. we got to lay it down. But, but we see that, that the disciples clearly seem to be concerned about reputation, about greatness. You know, it's almost like they said, who's the most devoted? Who's the most valuable? That's kind of what, what they're really getting at there. And the reason I bring this up is because we see so much of this in the world. And now I'm telling you, we see a lot of it in the church today. We see churches out there that rather than staying to the word of God, they're trying, to, they're trying to lure people in by lowering the standard, by turning around and compromising God's holy word in a way to reach a generation, a lost generation. God never, God never asked us to do that. He asked us to walk in the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. It's not a balance. I had a friend I called this week and you know, I, I was laying this out with him, I said, Lord, you know, I, I'm wrestling with this, man. Help me, help me, Lord. And and I'm looking at it kind of like a pizza. You know, you got some cheese, you got some sauce, and what's the right balance? Like if I asked you, you know, Jacob, I said, You like you like more cheese, you like more sauce? Jacob said, Well, I like it this way. And I might ask Rob, or I might ask Bob, hey, how do you like it? And each person's gonna say, Oh, I like it. Jesus Christ never did that. It was the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. And it's when we push into Jesus like that, and we walk with him, man, it flows from us. It flows from us. We can't hide it. We can't do anything. It just comes right. It's like, man, we're dripping with it. Like Like a steak that's been just marinated, man, for like 24 hours. You pull that bad boy out. You put it on there. Oh, it's juicy. It's awesome. That's what we are when we spend time with Jesus in love like that. We come out all juicy and covered with God and just his spirit, and it's wonderful, that's the man that God uses. That's the man that God uses. So, as we look at this, and you know, what these men are trying to figure out is what's the measure? That's what they're really asking here. What's the metric? What's the measure? You know, I think of Paul when he, are we supposed to strive to a particular metric or measure? I think of Paul when he was, and what would Paul say? Certainly not. Certainly not. But how many of us, honestly, today, transparently, we're brothers, right? How many of us do that? How many are still looking to ourselves and our own will to accomplish God's purposes and and work? I, I, I know I can. I know I can very easily. If I take my eyes off Jesus, how quickly I want to do it in my strength and how quickly I fail. And then I start to get discouraged. And then I get overwhelmed. And then I start going, what am I doing, Lord? What am I doing? And then he calls me back to him because he's so sweet like that. And he just says, well, like we're going to read here, child, we're his children, aren't we? You're born again believers in Christ. You're the children of God. And he says, child. You see, I think part of the problem today with being a man that God uses is we've created artificial stumbling blocks. We've allowed sin or other things in our lives to be artificial, and somehow our past sin should hold us back from doing what God's called us to do today. And every one of us can get legalistic in that. We really can. But they're just stumbling blocks, man. It's not, it's not of the Lord like that. It's not of his truth. What did Romans 8.1 say? There's no condemnation. What did Romans 8.1 say? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? So hold your finger there. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11. So then I got a question for everybody here. If there's no condemnation like that, And I turn back to Matthew chapter 11, and I find out what true less looks like. In chapter 11, verse 29 there, Jesus never asked us to try to compare or contrast each other to one another like that. He never asked us to do that. Actually, he says here, come to me, all you are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Is it your yoke? Is it your yoke, Jacob, I'm supposed to take on? No. Whose yoke? The Lord's. He says, take my yoke. And this is the key here and learn from me. Learn from me. How do we learn from Jesus? By being in his word and spending time and pressing into him. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for my souls. He didn't say he was this this man that was going to thump you with the Bible or he's going to thump you with a two by four. Many of you know my background in construction. You know my dad was a building inspector. I grew up doing construction. You know, in the field, we handled it differently when things didn't work out. Two-by-fours were pulled out. Absolutely. It's what we did. Problems were settled pretty quickly. I mean, you, you might have a disagreement with a guy. I assure you, 30 minutes later, it's worked out. You know, you clean up the blood, you get back to work. Try not to get it on the new floors of the customer. But that's not what we see with Jesus. He doesn't want us to handle things that way. What's he tell us? He says, lowly in heart and gentle. That means love, grace, mercy. Love, grace, and mercy like that. And he says, You'll find rest for my souls. You can turn back to Matthew 18. You see, we need to take the yoke of Christ upon us. That's the man that God uses a man that presses into him, and a man that will find true rest and not trying to strive and be something he was never, ever called to be. You're almost, I'm almost setting myself up for failure when I do that. That's, in some ways, how you disqualify yourself, honestly. It's not necessarily by the past sin. It's by taking myself out by either being distracted or by just quitting before I've even began. By not trusting that the Lord meant what he said in his word. That he would finish what he began. That he would finish what he began. You see, I believe the man, and this is sort of, if you take taking notes, this is the first thing I'd write down. The man that God uses is the man that learns from Jesus Christ. The man that seeks Jesus above all else. And not the works or striving of the man, but the willingness to surrender to Jesus Christ alone. We didn't see anything about the character of this man. He didn't say, well, you need to have this character, you need to have this gift, you need to be equipped this way. None of that was a prerequisite. He doesn't even mention it that way. He says, press into me, take my yoke, and learn from me. Can we all do that, men? Can every one of us, look to your left and to your right, can every one of you do that right now? We can. There's not a single one of us that's disqualified in here from doing that. There's not a single one of us that can't walk out of here today equipped and encouraged and go out into the mission field and serve our Lord. Amen? Amen. Verse 2, then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are convicted and become as this little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I love this response of Christ, right? I love Jesus, the way he responds. You know, here these men are, they're brokering, they're finagling, they're, you know, the world, the flesh, who's better, you know, I'm better, Peter's horse trading over there, you know, what's going on? And Jesus turns around and he sees this little child and he, and wait a minute, we're children, aren't we? We're the ch- okay. So he sees this little child, you get with me, and you're tracking with me, and he brings this child over in the front, he puts this child in front of these men, these disciples that at this point he had spent two and a half years with at this point in his ministry. And he looks at this child, and the men look at this child. Can you imagine what they're thinking? This child wasn't there for the works, for the, for the miracles, for any of this stuff. They didn't turn around and go out and, and, and have the power or authority to heal all the demonic possession or heal all the people that were sick. Does he re- reference back to the, to the works like that? No. He doesn't say, well, well you know, Peter, you walked on water, man. That's, that's the bar. That's the bar. Having faith like Peter, you got to walk on the water like that. He, he doesn't do that, man. He doesn't lay it down. He doesn't lay a trip down at all. What's he do? He turns around he puts his child. And when we think of the child, what are we looking at? We're looking at innocence. We're looking at Humility. You see, it begins with that character. Every single one of us, when we got saved, when we accepted Jesus Christ, we humbled ourselves, even if it was for that very moment. I think to myself, Lord, even if it was just for that moment, I was able to humble myself to come to you and realize that I was in sin and I needed a savior, that I needed a master and a Lord, that I didn't want to lead, but I wanted to follow and I wanted to surrender. I wanted to be all in, man, all in. And I was going to count the cost. I was gonna forsake all. There was no holding back. I wasn't gonna create a bud or a, any kind of conjunction. Well, Lord, I'll do it this way, but. Well, Lord, even my family, but. No. When I'm in, I'm in. When you're in, we're in. What did Jesus say about looking back? Can't plow a straight furrow. Do you remember that? He says, put your hand on the plow, look forward, receive from me, press into me, I will give you your marching orders. Even as Rob said, or I think it was Jim said, step by step, we don't get it all laid out for us because many of us, I know I'm, I'm going to put myself in that, I'd have my tail between my legs, I'd be running the other way. I'd be running the other way, amen? amen. Or maybe it's just me. But I'd be running the other way. But he gives me this revelation so graciously, so, so tender, so simple. He gives it to me like that. And, and he just says, obey, follow. I'm going to lead you. You can trust me. You want to you be a, a, a vessel? You want to be, be a man that God uses? Be prepared to follow him alone. He never called you to follow your under-shepherd. He never called you to follow anybody but the shepherd. Who's the shepherd of the church? Jesus Christ, always been the shepherd. Always. So he draws our attention to this child, and we think of the innocence, the humility, the loving and trusting strong faith. All these characteristics are in Jesus. And when we spend time with him, we start to look like that. It was like Moses when he was in the presence of the Shekinah glory. He walked away tan, man. He walked away tan. He came away, and he was like, cha-cha. You know, and they were like, whoa, we don't want to go up there. We're cool down here. You go. You, just, you, you intercede that way, right? You and Moses is like, no, no, personal relationships, intimate personal relationships with God. There's no mediator but Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus, I love this, when we look there, in this child, he says, come to him. And what does that child do? He goes right to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, many of you men have children here. You ever had somebody, uh, you know, call one of your children over and says, hey, come here. And the, uh, your child kind of gives you that double look like, dad, don't make me do it, man. You know, he's looking at you like, and you look at the ch- give him the eye. You better go. Maybe that's just in my house. But, but, but my son's looking, he's kind of like, dad, what's up? But I think that's the nature. I mean, sometimes children are timid, they're frightened, kind of like sheep, kind of like you and I. We sit there and, I don't know, we get a little nervous. We get a little anxious like that. Kind of want to look to our father and say, Lord, is this, should we go? But this child, we see, he looks. And what's that tell us about our our Savior? The child doesn't turn around and go, no, 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 I can't go, man. I'm not going to you, Jesus. Jesus has come. What's the child do? He goes. He comes without any hesitation. Child walks right up to him, presses right into Jesus like that. That, to me, was the example. When I was looking at those disciples and how many other parables and stories have we read through scripture where he says, come and follow me. Three different times, remember that? Well, no, I gotta go bury the dead. No, I gotta go do this. But if then, conjunction. And how many times do we see just the simplicity of heart like that where it's like, okay, I'll come. I'll respond, I won't hesitate. You see, because every one of us in this room, I I can almost guarantee it by the spirit of God, when we walk out of here, there are gonna be things pulling at you. Whether it's your job, you know, whether it's 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 home or whatever it is, don't get me wrong. Your family's your first ministry. Don't get me wrong. But when you get out there, there are things that are gonna be tugging at you. But you gotta put the Lord first. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. It will all work out and make sense when you have the proper order and perspective. That's the man that God uses. And we read in verse 3 there, and he said, you know, assuredly I say that unless you are converted and become like one of these little children, you will no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that was heavy. These disciples are like, man, we were with you for two and a half years already. And this kid, this little child, he's just going to walk up and he just gets to go in, right? And he's like, I mean, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been like, knock the kid out, take the child out. You know, I mean, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking whack the child, get him out of the way. I mean, let's talk about it in our flesh, right? In case you can't tell, I'm from New York originally, if you haven't figured that out. So, you know, I'm thinking, like, let's just handle this, right? But what, is, what do we see? We see the sincerity of heart of this child. It just presses in like that. We see the disciples probably going, that backfired. That backfired. Why were we even trying to worry about who was the greatest? Who had what gifts and who could be most useful? Instead of the who could be most useful, press into him and be used. The man that God uses rests in the arms of his Savior. He doesn't strive to repay what can never be repaid. It can never be repaid. You see, the man God uses a willing vessel, he's not convicted or walking in condemnation. We're already told there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. He willingly receives the grace That is from Christ Jesus alone. And we know grace is unmerited favor. And there's not a single one of us that have done anything to deserve it. Can't be be gardened on your own. You can't walk to the local convenience store. You can't walk and buy it. You can't do anything to earn it. The only way you get it is by spending time with Jesus Christ. Pressing into him. You see, that's why when, when I, you know, Pastor Jim was up here and Pastor Rob was up here, and I love how the Lord and the Holy Spirit just does this behind the scenes. He's working this all together, and he keeps, if you, have, if you kind of caught some of the themes, press into Jesus, press into the love, listen to the way, listen to the truth. Look at the man. What's he do? Andrew, he did what? He brought people back to Christ. Do you see that? And then even right now through the Holy Spirit, he's showing us, he's saying, press into God. You want to be used? You you believe the Lord's got a calling on your life? Great, press into him. Get closer to Christ, get closer to God than you've ever gotten close to him before. Get on your knees, open up his word, and spend time with him. And you will watch the amazing things God can do. The amazing things God can do. Verse four, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child, see, I believe it begins in humility like that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one of these child is like, in like my name receives me, right? Wow. So we see the issue of greatness has been addressed. Humility. Humility. Having a humble character like that allows us to hear and receive from the Lord because we're not too full of ourselves that he can pour into us. You see that? He can pour into us like that. And then we can be what? We can be obedient. We can, we can respond to his truth. We can respond to his grace. And then when we're, we're covered with it like that, we can't but help going to our brothers, going to our sisters, going to our wives, going to whoever. And that grace, man, it just comes forth from us. Because it was never ours. It was always his. It's just coming on to us and boom, going on to the next. You see, we are the body of Christ you know, whether you go to different churches, whether you fellowship, we are one body of Christ. And we have one Savior, Jesus. One Lord and one Master. We need to press into Jesus. I think that's when we really do understand the fullness of his, his grace and truth. Turn with me to John chapter 1. I love this. You remember when we think about the word becoming flesh? John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. When we press into Christ like that, we receive the fullness of his grace and truth. We don't compromise truth. We don't compromise his word. But we also don't compromise his grace. We don't, we're not willing to do that. So the man that God uses walks in that truth and grace. You know, I think of Psalm 138, verse 2. For you have magnified your word above all your name. We talked about it earlier. Pastor Rob actually used that same verse. Again, no coincidence, the Holy Spirit, no coincidence. And he said, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Well, the Lord brought it to me. He says, "To disregard God's, really God's word is his holy, pure. And what absolutely true is to do what? It's to defame the very character of God. To see a man walking this out, let's turn to Isaiah. Pastor Jim brought up Isaiah and so oh, praise the Lord. Let's, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. We see what it is now in Matthew where there's this character of this child and we see what it looks like when Jesus points us to the humility like that, when he points us to that character of innocence, when he points us to pressing into the Lord, to coming when he calls just as the child responded. Now how does that work out for you and I that are already, we're we're believers in Christ, we're pressing into into Jesus, but how does that all break down from there? You might remember Isaiah chapter 6 is when Isaiah really receives his call. It's when when he receives his call like that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Hmm. You know, I don't know about you, but I am undone, man. You know, that's a good place to be. You look at Isaiah, you look at where he was as we read the application of what we just talked about and you see that Isaiah is sitting there and you look at the great work that that the Lord used Isaiah to do the prophet. And here he is, he's standing, basically the context is he's standing really through a vision, he's standing like that before the Lord. And he's realizing his own inadequacy. He's realizing his his own failings or short failings or fallings like that. He sees, you see, up to this point, Isaiah was feeling probably pretty good about himself. I'm a prophet. I'm being called unto the Lord. I don't know if I got this, but, you know, I'm going to hang in there. But then, then all of a sudden he's, surrounding by God, he's surrounded by God like that. And he starts to realize, whoa, man, I'm done done. I, I don't measure up. I, I don't measure up. I, I can say this. I don't measure up. And I mean it with all my heart and praise The Lord, I don't measure up. Because it's in that weakness that He's made strong. It's it's because of the humility of heart to come to Him. When we come to Him like that, we say, Lord, we can't do it good. When it's uncomfortable like that, Lord, you're calling me and showing me to take this step. You want me to do what? You want me to sell my house? You want me to drive five hours every other week to some place I had never been? You want me to love a people that I don't know, Lord? I don't, I don't know how to do that. I, I'm undone that way. It's okay. That's good. Because you see what the Lord can do when you have that humble heart. When you come and you're able to be, you know, like the potter, you know, massaging and creating the the the, the clay to to make it what He wants. You're emptied out that way. It's so sweet. It's I know. I know it doesn't feel sweet, right? Anybody in here, raise your hand if you think you know. It's like I don't know about you. When I was reading James, and James, you say, "Well, I love the trials and tribulations and afflictions. I count it all a joy." I'm like, this guy's maniacal. This, this guy's this guy's crazy. He's out of his mind. There's nothing right about James. Like he's missed it. He's just he's off. And then you start walking and. You know, you go through your storms. You go through these obstacles. You go through these afflictions. And you're going to do two things. You're either going to run to yourself and try to figure it out yourself or somebody else, or you're going to run right to Jesus Christ. You're going to be emptied out that way, and you're going to run to him. You're going to press into him, and he's going to reveal everything he has for you. And you're going to turn around, and you're going to follow it, and all of a sudden, he's going to do it. And you're going to sit back and two years later, you're going to be standing in front of a fellowship. I don't know, six, whatever people are there. You're going to be looking up. You're going to be going, how did we get this building? How did you give us this church? Where did these chairs come from? Where did the people come that ended up erecting these walls? Lord, I didn't advertise. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't send out postcards. I didn't turn around and, and use some type of marketing you know, scheme from the world. I didn't. It was you, Jesus. Because you were working. You, even when I was doubting, even when I was lacking the faith, Lord, you didn't. You knew what you were going to do. You just wanted me to walk in the fullness of it. And all you asked me to do was come to you and press in. That's it. That's all he's asked each and every one of us to do right now, today, is press into him. He's not asking us to compare and contrast each other to other people and their walk. He's not asking us to put on a yoke that was never our yoke that we were meant to bear. He's just asked us to be faithful, to come to him and press him like that. Amen? Amen? He says, I am undone. Now, I think, you know, studying through Scripture, Isaiah's deep sense of sort of depravity like that is consistent with the experiences that I see in other godly men throughout, you know, throughout Scripture— Men that God used. I think of Job. Job chapter 42 verses 5 and 6. If you're taking notes, write these down. Go back and study them later. Look at these men. There was nothing special about any one of these men. Other that they had a humbled heart and they pressed into the Lord. And they trusted him. And when he said go, he went. But they didn't go until he confirmed it. They waited upon him. Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. Peter, right? Think of Peter. Look at Luke chapter 5, and, uh, chapter five verse 8. I think of Peter a lot. You know, Peter, insert, insert foot in the mouth. I'm Peter. You know, my, the fellowship where I'm they know I'm Peter. They just look at, no, pastor, you meant this. I said, yeah, I did. praise the Lord. <laughs> There's no expectation. It's awesome. It's great because you know what? They don't see me. Because I step out of the way, and what they see is the Holy Spirit. They see Jesus Christ. They know I'm nobody. They know that I'm nobody. I got nothing. I got nothing. I I don't ever pretend to have something. I never arrived. None of us, just to clue anybody here, none of us have arrived. Nobody here, I guarantee, has arrived. And if we turn around and hold on to that and get out of the way and we actually watch what the Lord does, we're going to turn around and bring that glory to him, and we're never going to try to smite the rock. We're never going to try to touch the glory like that, because it's all his. And I think of John, and we're in the book of Revelation on Sundays right now, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, with John. Each of these men, men that God used, all had a similar thing. They were undone like that. It's not a bad place to be. God will not do, you know, Spurgeon has a quote there. He says, God will never do something with someone until they are completely undone first. So if you're sitting here thinking, man, how could God use a guy like me, right? How could God use a guy like any one of us, me? I I think that's a moment-by-moment thing for me. Just look at this. Look at your scripture. It doesn't lie. It testifies the truth truth beyond our understanding he says what i am a man of unclean lips hmm and i dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips nobody's arrived there's nobody here that's that's holier than thou and if that's something that's been just weighing on your heart and keeping you from going out and being used by god rebuke that lie And send it right back to the pit of hell where it came from. Because it's never from the Lord. It's not from the Lord like that. See, Isaiah saw his sinfulness here. Sinfulness of his people. The people that the Lord called him to minister to. He didn't turn around and go, Lord, you gave me these guys? He he, he didn't look at what he called him to do and say, this this is it, Lord? This is where you're bringing me? This This is it? No, he didn't respond that way. It wouldn't have where it was. It wouldn't matter what it was. When you're a willing vessel and fully surrendered, what are you doing? You're all in, man. You go where you're called. You do what you're told to do and you press into Jesus and leave all the consequences to him. You know, I like that by the nature of our lips and flattery. You know, I, I thought of the coal again when you were talking about the coal earlier. I mean, you know, Pastor Jim was talking about the coal like that. It's true, you know, When, he, when he, he, it was so hot, that cold. Remember, he uses the tongs, we'll read it. He couldn't even, the angel didn't even touch it with his hands, it was so hot. It was going to sear the lips. Yet we don't see Isaiah once complain about the pain. He doesn't come out and go, ah, man, don't do that again, what are you doing? He doesn't, he doesn't react that way. Actually, there is pain sometimes, there is, there is oppression and affliction. We get that as believers in Christ Again, it's a lie to, to, hear, to, to think anything else. You, know, you get that prosperity doctrine out there. Oh, you need to, you know, you, how many people is that ruined? I oh, man, I could get off on this. I'm sorry. How many people is that ruined? Because they, t- oh, you don't have enough faith. Brothers, we need to go out and spread the good news, the gospel of Christ. That, you know what? When you're walking with the Lord, there is oppression. There is affliction. That doesn't mean you lack faith. That means you're pressed in. That means you're following. That means you're undone. You're in a good place. God can use that. He'll use that. But when I think of the lips, of all places where Isaiah could have taken and he could have touched like that, lips, they're very sensitive, right? I mean, it's one of the more sensitive areas in your face. But I also think of lips, flattery, lies, false intent come from the lips. With the flattering lips, we're told in Psalm 12, verse 2, flattering lips and a what? A double heart they speak. By the nature, our lips lie and are proud. Let's lay that down before the feet of Christ today. If there's anybody walking in here with the Lord like that, and there's any sin or something like that, even if there's somebody here, I don't know your walk, the Lord knows your walk, but if there's anybody backslidden today, somebody that hasn't been pressed in, don't leave this church today until you're right with the Lord that way, until you're all in and pressed in, because then you're ready to be used by God. I think of Psalm 31, verse 18, let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against righteousness. And I think of lips, by the lips they bring death. Psalm 140, verse 3 tells us, the poison of asps is under their lips. Isaiah didn't think for a moment that this was his only sin. It wasn't as though he just touched here because that was the only place. Where does sin begin? Jesus already told us that. It's the motive of the heart. It's the motive of our hearts that way. Verse 5, so I said, woe is for me, I am undone. Because I have a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah might have been a righteous and godly man from all outward appearances. All of you might be righteous and godly men from all outward appearances. You might, you might have arrived. You might feel like you've arrived. But I assure you, when you're in the presence of the Lord... No one stands the test. That's why he shed the blood. That's why Calvary was required. And that's why we got the guarantee, which was the resurrection. You see that? There's not one of us that's disqualified in here. There's not one of us that can walk out of here and honestly say, God can't use me. Isaiah was undone. He, he thought he was righteous, and he stood in the presence of God, and he realized, wait a minute, man, there's not one good thing. I think of that all the time. There's not one good, it's like Paul said, you know, the things I want to do, that's not what I do, the things I don't want to do, that's what. Man, that's my motto. Like, I literally get in the car, and I'm like, Lord, it's coming, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, you got free choice. I'm like, it's still coming, isn't it? You know, and I'm like, I I just it's in me man I I just I I carry that flesh around and I have that choice and sometimes I run to the flesh instead of running to him but does that disqualify me no because I press into him and I seek repentance I seek reconciliation I seek relationship intimacy and that's where I grow That's where we grow. That's where the man, you know, we read again, the man that God uses, that's the man that God uses. Each and every one of us. Each and every one of us like that. Hmm. So God can use men that have sinned. I mean, this just proves it right here in black and white, or I don't know how they can make it any clearer. God can use men that have sinned. Now, if there's something, you know, here in, and and sin like that, and, you know, you haven't repented, of course, turn to the Lord. Today, don't wait another moment. Seek that right relationship and watch the things he can do. He's not holding on to it, man. He's not going to turn around and slam you with it like a a two-by-four we were talking about earlier. He's not going to do that. He just wants right relationship. His son died so he could have right relationship with us. He gave up his son like that. You think he's going to hold on to it? He actually, what's he see? When he looks down and sees us, you know what he sees? He sees the imputed righteousness. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see sin like that anymore. He sees the imputed righteousness in us, which means none of us is disqualified. We can all walk in the grace, the fullness of the grace and the fullness of the truth. Amen. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hands on a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. Boy, there's a good model there, going to the Lord in the presence of God. What a great, great illustration like that. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. You know, when we think about this, this angel flew again. This coal was so hot, he had to use the tongues. We see the throne there. The throne's for God, right? We understand that. The throne is God. Who's the the altar for? The altar's for you and I. That's where we meet the Lord like that. We meet him at the altar. You see, that's where Jesus met us, and he cleansed us. He took away our sin. He redeemed us. We're justified in Christ, in Christ alone. This fire, as we saw, it was taken from the altar. I believe this is a great example of where does the purity flow from? But from the throne of God. The purity doesn't come from the coal. The purity doesn't come from Isaiah. It came from the throne of God and came forth like that. The purity comes from God. We don't have to possess it. It's not something that we own or something that we ever possess that way. It's something that flows to us when we're in him, when we're in Jesus fully and completely. Hmm. I like that. It flows just like his truth flows and his grace flows. There's no requirements for certain strength. There's no requirements for certain ability. I don't see any gifting here. Isaiah, he didn't go through a list and say, well, Isaiah, you meet this, this, and this criteria. None of that i see isaiah turn around recognizes sin he repents from his sin god asks a question i don't know well we'll get to that in a minute the lord asking a question like that i don't know if that just doesn't wreck your mind i wrecks my mind the lord knows it was kind of like earlier we're reading when when the lord's sitting there asking does the lord need to ask that question who's that question for that Holy, the Holy Spirit is revealing the answer through the question. That's why we have this in this account, so we can learn from this, so we can see what God has already done, so we can learn from that. You see, that coal didn't hurt the way it should have hurt. It should have hurt Isaiah, but because God did it, it didn't. The way he did it, it was so perfect, he didn't turn around and bring, you know, bring like the big knife to cut out the way he does. No, he uses a very you know, precise surgical instrument. He gets in there and he does what he does. It pierces. That piercing is so complete. It's so complete like that. Again, I, I say it again and I don't know why the Holy Spirit keeps putting this on my heart. It's, it's, it, it, if there's anyone backslidden here, if there's anyone dealing with sin here that has not confessed that sin to the Lord, don't wait another moment. Repent. Lay it, at the feet of, lay it at the feet of Christ and begin healing now. You'll walk out of here a vessel that can be used, the man that God can use. The other thing that I think it's interesting when he took that fire like that some of you might be feeling, man, I'm just overwhelmed. My job is crazy, you know. I'm working 60, 80 hours a week. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to put food on the table. I'm doing all these other things. Man, I'm just, I'm poured out that way. I'm just done. I got nothing left. You notice that he took that coal, came from that fire. When he touched the lips of Isaiah like that, I believe he lit the fire in Isaiah again. We sing that song, Lord, light the fire in me again. Don't we You know what the song is? We sing that prayer, Lord, light the fire in me again like that. And what did the Lord do? He did that for Isaiah. He'll do that for each and every one of us. If we go to Him in sincerity of heart and say, Lord, look, I'm laying it at your feet, man. I screwed up, whatever it is. I want to get right with you. And now I want to be about my Father's business. Lord, light the fire in me again, man. He'll do it. He takes away your sin. Your sin is purged. That's what Jesus' work on Calvary did. Our sin was placed upon him. He was burned with the fire of God's judgment. Yet because he was holy and righteous like that, the fire of God's judgment didn't harm him. It only burned away the sin, our sin. But it never harmed Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know it's... It's, it's easy for me to say that because I'll be afraid in 20 minutes if I'm not already now. It's certainly easy for me to say that. But there's power. There's power that way. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. You see, and this is the third one I'd write down. You see, once Isaiah had met with the Lord, he was convicted of his sin. He was cleansed from his guilt. And he was ready to serve God. That is the man that God uses. How much time do I have left? Nothing? A few minutes, as usual. They all had bets that I wouldn't... look at Okay. So I'll skip down. As you skip down, I'll skip down. <laughs> so I love Isaiah's response. Whom shall I send? I think this means there's cooperation happening. Here we see the cooperation of the vine. The divine is sending. And then we see the human cooperation and the willingness to be sent. It's cooperation. He's never going to force any of us. Here I am, send me. Isaiah emphatically answered God's call. He didn't hesitate. Isaiah wanted to, to be the answer of God's question. Who, will, you know, who can I send? Isaiah wanted to be the answer to that. That's the man that God uses. Isaiah knew there was a need. He responded to that need. And because of that, the Lord used him mightily. And so I'll close with this, that, you know, I believe through the study as we've just gone through, there's about seven things, make it 23. No, there's about seven things that I think if if you just took in summation and go back and study this. A man that learns from Jesus, the man that seeks Jesus above all else, He doesn't strive, but he's willing to surrender to Jesus. That's a man God uses. A man that rests in the arms of his Savior and doesn't strive to repay what never can be repaid. A man that's an empty and willing vessel. He willingly receives and shares the grace that froze from Christ Jesus alone. A man that is childlike in humility and innocence. Willingly comes when when he's called by his master, and enjoys spending time with Jesus. It's his first love. A man that walks in what? Truth and grace, the fullness of both, not compromising either, according to his word. A man that has met with the Lord, been convicted of the sin, cleansed from his guilt, that's a man that's ready to serve. A man that emphatically answers God's call and doesn't hesitate, However, a man that waits and is not willing to go unless called. This is the man God uses. And you look around this room here. Again, look to your left and look to your right. That's all of you. Time is short. Man, time is short. The stakes are high. We need to be intentional. We need to be all in. And we need to be completely surrendered so we can be on mission for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you just for your holy word without compromising. We thank you for your truth, Lord, your obedience, your grace, and the fullness of it. God, thank you that there's no bar, Lord, nothing artificial that man can raise in tradition and place that tradition over the obedience of your word. Thank you, Lord, for your truth, that each and every one of us, when we come to you, we can respond just as Isaiah, Lord. Here I am, Lord. God, I pray for the men that are here today, God, that you will make it so abundantly clear the calling you have for each and every one of them in their lives, Lord, whether it be in their work, their neighborhoods, their home, wherever you send them, God, I pray that they would have a willingness and a desire to fully submit and surrender to you and be about our Father's business. Thank you, God, for this time. In your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's men prayed. Amen. Amen.